his word. And Andrew's going to bring us the word this morning. So as he does that, I'm just going to pray for him. And he probably wants to put the lectern up because he's a little taller than me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for, for our brother Andrew. Thank you for the, the word that you've put on his heart to bring to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through him powerfully to us today, Lord, that you would bless him greatly. You would give him confidence, wisdom, courage to, uh, to boldly speak your word today. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your, your now word to us. Lord, and, uh, and your word is alive, Lord, and, um, and is always relevant to us, Lord. Please uh, speak to us where we need to hear you the most this morning, Lord. We, uh, we love you, we thank you, and we uh, just again pray your blessing on Andrew. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Very good morning to you all, especially to visitors. It's, it's lovely to have you with us. A very warm welcome. Um, we're partway through a series on 1 Corinthians, so you've joined us partway through. If you want to catch up, they're all on the website, but that's uh, quite a few weeks to catch up. Um, and a lot of the time we've had to take great big chunks and pick out key points. This week, we've got a much shorter reading. Don't say hooray, it's the word of God, you can't get enough of it. But we're going to look at it in quite a bit of detail. And this week we're looking at chapter 9 and verses 24 to 27. And Paul writes, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Run to get the prize. Right, the context of this, first of all, is a historical context. Everyone's heard of the Olympic Games, yeah? They were going back in Paul's day, then they stopped for a while until they were resurrected at the end of the 19th century. But the great rival to the Olympic Games were the Corinthian Games. So the Isthmian Games. And they were held in Corinth every two years. And they were just as important as the Olympic Games, it's a bit of a rival organisation, and athletes would train so hard for these and get the prize, which would be a pine garland. It struck me as a bit surprising when I read Paul said this is one that doesn't last, because if it was made of pine needles, my experience of pine needles is they last forever. But they had a garland of pine, or for a time they substituted something a bit different, which I found really fascinating, a garland of celery. Maybe that's why the Isthmian Games didn't last. But Paul's readers would have understood this image of running a race because it was something that was key to the city every couple of years. And the textual context of, of this passage, in chapters 7 to 10, Paul is, is trying to instruct the Corinthians on how to live the Christian life well. He's been picking up a number of specific questions 
that they were struggling with and, and getting things wrong. And he said, this is, this is how you should be doing it to live the Christian life well. And a couple of weeks ago, we were looking specifically at rights and responsibilities. And the next section, which we'll probably not look at now until September, is on temptation. And this is a bridge, because as we saw last time, or a couple of weeks ago, there was a risk that in trying to become all things to all men, some were going too far. For example, I'm going to go and win all the drunkards. I'll go and get drunk with all of them. It's a temptation to take something out of context and get it wrong. And we'll be looking at temptation more, uh, say, later on. But it's getting the balance right. And that means running a straight race. And in essence, what Paul's trying to get across to them here is how to make the most of every opportunity, but in a way that lives a life that reflects Jesus. Uh, just to summarise the key themes, I see it fascinating looking at the, the concordances. One word kept coming up to describe the Christians in Corinth in the context of this passage, and it was flabby. Uh, one writer puts it like this, the strenuous self-denial of the athlete as he sought a fleeting reward is a rebuke to half-hearted, flabby Christian service. The Corinthian church's efforts, by comparison with the athletes, were flabby. They were self-indulgent. They were more interested in the power structures, the influence, the feasting, the money. They got the focus wrong and they were flabby Christians. I'm not going to risk anybody's wrath or try not to look at anyone in case you get the wrong impression. But are any of us flabby Christians in our service? And if so, what can we do about it? Well, Paul tells them what they can do about it. First of all, they need to run in such a way as to get the prize. And they do this by going into training, having a clear focus and being disciplined, but also making sure they didn't get disqualified. So I'll come back to the, to the prize a bit later on, but this is what we're going to look at this morning. Training, focus, discipline. I can tell you're all really excited at the prospect of that, but I have a special treat in store for you. First of all, training. It's something that comes up quite a bit in, in Paul's teaching. And here he writes, everyone who competes in the games goes in to strict training. I don't know if anyone here has ever done a marathon, or even a half marathon. I haven't. I think the most I've managed is two and a half miles, which is about a tenth of it. But you don't just turn up at a marathon and run it unless you're an elite athlete. Because they've been in training. You start at a little distance and build up, two and a half miles, a bit further, a bit further, a lot further. You go into training. And this is a recurring theme in Paul's writings. To Timothy says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for both the present life and the life to come. If you're training yourself to be godly, it has a benefit here and now in this life, but also in the life to come. So important to get the training right. 
And again, to Romans, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to train our minds as well as our bodies to get our thinking right. It's crucial that we think clearly. Paul writes to the the Philippians that they need to think on things that are true, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable, and that are excellent, because that's training our minds. And then he goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Very important word there. Now, for that treat I promised you. Not many people realise this about me, because I'm I'm quite a shy, modest person. But most people are not aware of my levels of accomplishment as a pianist. I don't often give recitals. But today, as a special treat, a performance live, for the benefit of those listening on the, the internet, there are looks of amazement all around the room. Speculation. Will it be Mozart, Schumann, Rachmaninoff? I didn't even get that right. You will can see... You can see why I'm modest about my achievements. <laughs> They're virtually non-existent. And yet... For a couple of years, I had piano lessons. And on reflection, I'm deeply ashamed that that's all I can achieve because my parents paid for these lessons. They never had much money. And I would go along. I would have good fellowship with my piano teacher. I would listen to her advice. And that's the outcome. Because I didn't practice. And that's so important. We can come along to church. We can hear the word, we can sing great songs, we can have great fellowship, but if we go away and forget about it, it doesn't do us any good. Part of our training must be practice what God is teaching us and and showing into our lives. So, if we're running the race for God, we need to go into training. But we also need to have focus. Paul writes, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That's the letter to the Hebrews. But again, there's the same image of running a race, having our focus on the prize. And in this case, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's so easy to get distracted by the things of the world, and to get dragged down by the things of the world. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we get our focus right, we get our perspective right. One of my favourite films is Chariots of Fire. And there's that image of, of Harold Abrahams as he's about to start the final, the Olympic 100 metres. And he's just looking down the lane the tunnel, his focus is the gold. He can see it hanging there. It's just a few seconds away from him. That's his focus. 
our gold, more precious than gold, is Jesus. And if we keep our focus on him and nothing else, we won't go far wrong. But Paul also writes to the Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Again, it's so easy to get distracted by the things of the world. Chris has mentioned some of those. Career, money, relaxation, hobbies. Lots of things that of themselves are not bad, but if that becomes our sole focus, we lose our sense of direction and we start running aimlessly. How many people have got addicted to computer games? Nothing wrong in a bit of fun, but when it spends all your time, you stay up late into the night playing games, it's not good. And people can become addicted to worse things than that. To alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. If we're not setting our minds on things above, on Jesus, then we're going to go astray. And if you go astray in a race, you've got no chance of winning. We need to get an understanding that the things in this life are temporary. They're all going to pass away. You can have a couple of million pounds in the bank, a fleet of very nice cars, a private jet, villa in the Bahamas, another one in Italy. You can't take any of it with you. And if that's what you're living for, it's all going to pass away. Keep your mind on things above. And then to, to Romans, Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh, what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So we need to keep in tune with the Holy Spirit, to read the Word of God, to get that understanding, what is it we need to do to keep our focus aright? And then uh, this is also, I think, really important. Paul writes to the Philippians, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Don't look back. It's so easy to get dragged down by what's happened in the past, either with a sense of your failures in the past and how you've let God down, let other people down. And that can drag you down. Or to get lost in nostalgia. Ah, oh, things aren't the way they used to be. It's not as good as it was all those years ago. And we're looking back for something that's past. Again, a reference to Chariots of Fire. There's a race between Harold Abrahams and his great rival, Eric Little. They're neck and neck. And then at the last minute, Harold looks round to see where his rival is. That breaks his concentration and Eric Little goes on to win. We have to keep our focus to press on toward the goal. So we need to be in training, we need to have our focus clear, but we also need discipline. Paul writes, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. That's about discipline. Now this verse has sometimes been taken to justify beating yourself up to some particularly Catholic groups that practice self-flagellation and, and literally beating the flesh to punish it for his sins. 
it's sin. You don't need to do that. God's taken all the, Christ has taken all the punishment on the cross. But we do need to be disciplined. Again, going back to, to the writer to the Hebrews, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sin will drag us down. It's like being literally flabby. You can't run if you're carrying as well as you should if you're carrying too much weight. You have to get into shape. Paul writes to the Romans, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So we need to be very careful with what we do with our bodies. We need to look after them to keep them in good shape, as we looked at a few weeks ago, as the temples of the Holy Spirit. But equally important is to discipline our minds. So we demolish arguments and every pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Temptation nearly always comes through the mind. Something we see, something we hear, something someone says, and our mind feeds on it. It's how Satan got to Adam and Eve. Did God say? It's getting in at their minds, challenging them. They should have said, yes, God said. said oh, it tastes good. You won't die. Mmm, that sounds interesting. Perhaps I'll give it a go. And our minds can feed on things that are bad for us. So it's so important. What are we feeding our minds on? What are we watching on television? What are we looking at on the internet? What are we reading in books and magazines? And what's that doing to our minds? If you buy a, a Sunday supplement that's full of recipes for cream cakes and gattos and chocolate, your mind starts thinking, yes, please. And you're tempted to go out and buy something and then you remember you're on a diet. If you've got as much strong-willed as, as, strong as I am when it comes to food, you succumb. Flabby Christians. But if you're really focused on losing weight, you say, no, I'm not going to look at those things because they're going to upset me. I'm going to focus on those clothes I want, that race I want to be in, that holiday in the summer I want to look good. Whatever it is, you keep the focus and don't let Satan get into our minds. It's so important because temptation comes through desire. Desire gives birth to sin. It starts in the mind. So we keep to need to discipline our minds. So there are the elements that Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians. You need to go into training. You need to focus. You need to discipline. Why? To win the prize. Now, at the beginning of this passage, he says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You mustn't take the analogy too far and think, oh, I'm up against millions of other Christians and there's only one prize. No. But in a lot of places in Scripture, it talks about rewards. 
God will reward this, reward that. And it's quite interesting. What are those rewards going to look like? If we're in heaven, we're going to have Jesus. What more can we want? But there are these things that God rewards. And I want to look at a few of these because these should help us in our training, our focus, and our discipline. Because you give rewards for something that's done well, that pleases the father, the boss, the parent, whoever. When our children were young, we'd give them a little bit of pocket money, whatever, but they could earn rewards for doing things like keeping their rooms tidy, washing up, drying up. Quite interesting, one of our daughters decided, yeah, let's go for this, I'm going to rack up the rewards, and did very well. The other thought, nah, I don't need the money. Sometimes it's a good incentive. But rewards are for good things, things that please. If you do exceptionally well at work, the boss might give you a reward for that. So what we know is, where we see passages that says your reward will be for something, it means that behaviour is what God is pleased with. So let's just have a look at a few of these, because they should encourage us. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God loves faith. God loves people coming to him, seeking him in faith. So that's what we should do because it pleases him. Righteousness. The one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Living the way he wants us to pleases God. And there's a reward for us. Prayer. I love this. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your Father, who sees what he's done in secret, will reward you. Sometimes we find prayer hard work. It's a chore. But it's what pleases our Father. When we come to him in prayer, whether it's prayers of thanks, or prayers of desperation, or prayers of just saying, I love you, Lord. He loves our prayers. And he will reward our prayers. Unless they're done publicly, showing off, but we'll come to that later. Commitment. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Sometimes it's so easy to get discouraged and to give up. But if we work with all our heart, God's pleased. There's a reward. Faithfulness. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't be discouraged. Keep the focus. God loves faithfulness and there's a reward waiting for you if you are faithful. Perseverance. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. None of us love the prospect of persecution. We don't even like it when people laugh at us for being Christians. Sometimes we even try and cover up the fact because we don't want people to embarrass us. But persevering in the face of persecution blesses the heart of God 
He's just so proud of people who hold firm in the face of opposition. There is a reward, a crown of life. Mercy. This is always a hard one too. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. The world says, enemies, do them down. Get your own back. Do anything you can to spite them. They're your enemy. God says, no, I love it when you love them, when you show them kindness, when you do nice things for them. Your reward will be small? No, great. God loves mercy and generosity. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So often, certainly in the world, but so often we do things for people who can do things for us. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It works particularly, you often see it in work, you you help the people who are going to help you and you both get on. God says no. Show generosity to those who could do nothing for you. Challenging passage at the end in the Sermon of the Mount. Lord, when did we see you hungry, naked, in prison? But he says, as you did it for any one of these, my brothers, you did it for me. When we show generosity, we are showing generosity to our Saviour, and God is never going to be outdone when it comes to generosity. Let's face it, we try and bring our best efforts our good deeds, and sometimes we try and think, that will get me into heaven. No. God's already done it all. His generosity, his immense love, his mercy, his grace, he's given us salvation through faith in his son Jesus. How can you outdo the generosity of God? And there will be a reward in heaven. And then there's kindness. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So here are some of the things we can put into our training program. The things that please God, but will earn a reward. Faith, righteousness, prayer, commitment, faithfulness, perseverance, mercy, generosity, kindness. And there are others want some homework, go and look up all the references to rewards. God is a God who loves to bless his children. But there is also the warning to avoid disqualification. Not, this is in the sense that you know, if you get things wrong, you're going to lose your salvation. We can all make mistakes, but we can do things in the wrong way, so that we miss out on the rewards, the prize. We were looking at it a few weeks ago, where in chapter 3, Paul writes, you can be saved, but only as one who escapes through the fire. If we're building with the wrong materials, or doing things in the wrong way, we're saved, but only just, without reward. And I think there are three important things that can disqualify us from the prize. Self-righteousness. I mentioned this just now. 
When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Don't do things for the praise of man. Don't do things for your own ego to look, look how spiritual I am. Go around telling people, oh, I tithe, I give to this charity, I give to that charity. I'm such a good person. God says, if that's all you want, that's all you're going to get. Praise of men. And that's very fleeting. And very often, people who are set up as idols who live for that praise, is someone going to shoot you down? You only have to look at celebrities who have been put on a pedestal one day and end up in the gutter in disgrace another. It's a sad reflection. But if you're living for the fame and the glory, it is a very fleeting prize. And that's all you'll get. You'll be disqualified from the rewards that God wants for you. Avoid self-righteousness. And avoid self-reliance. This was Saul, King Saul's big problem. He was told by Samuel, wait until I come and offer the sacrifice. And Saul had gathered his armies and Samuel didn't turn up. And people were getting restless and he was getting nervous. And so he sacrificed on his own initiative. He said, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel said, you've done a foolish thing. Now your kingdom will not endure. Doing things in his own strength cost Saul his future as the king of Israel. Moses, in the wilderness, went beyond what God had done, struck the rock with his staff, because it had worked before. God said no. He'd, won, he'd gone on his own strength, relied on his own wisdom, and that meant he didn't actually go into the promised land. He only looked at it from afar. And the saddest case of all, Judas, thought he could do the right thing by betraying Jesus. And it was the wrong thing. And then, in despair, he committed suicide. Does anyone believe that the grace and mercy of God could not have redeemed Judas if he'd come in true repentance? I don't. My God's grace is bigger than anything. But self-reliance will lead us in the wrong direction. I can remember, I think it was on a question of sport, what happens next? A horse race. Well, I don't know anything about horse racing. But apparently you go, this particular race, they had to go around twice. And a horse was way out in front and coming to the end, but it went off in the wrong direction. And it didn't go on to the finishing line. So it lost the race because it relied on the wisdom of the jockey, not doing what was the right thing. Self-reliance will disqualify us. And then self-deprecation, running ourselves down. The, the parable of the talents, the, the, the man with one talent says, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. 
And the king says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. The man was afraid. He didn't think he could do anything. So his, his fear inhibited him. Again, another scene from Chariots of Fire. After the race where he'd lost to Eric Little, Howard Abrahams, he's quite frankly having a strop. And his girlfriend, Sybil, the opera singer, comes up to try and console him. And he goes, if I can't win, I won't run. And she retorts, you can't win if you don't run. Work that one out and then get back to me. We're sometimes so critical of ourselves, so fearful, that we don't make any effort at all. Because we're frightened of getting it wrong. Frightened of making a mistake. Frightened of looking stupid. We have to have the faith in God to run the race. So, a quick summary. We need to go into training. We need to have the right focus. We need to be disciplined. And then we will run in such a way as to get the prize, providing we don't get disqualified. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Go away. But I did say there's that awkward thing I mentioned earlier about practice. How do we put all these things into practice? So, a quick exercise program. Things for you to practice this week. Pray. Come near to God and he will come near to you. We've already seen that God loves you to pray. Loves all of us to pray. Every day, make sure you pray. Not just bringing God your shopping list, but waiting on him. Doing it with your Bible open to see what God will show you about how to run the race. Read the word of God. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that we might have hope. A lot of athletes will go on training regimes. You get the training manual, the fitness program. It's all set out, the regime. Our training manual is the word of God. That's what is the basis of what we should be doing. Read it every day. Read the whole of it so you get the big picture, not the little snippets that can be taken out of context. And praise God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The more we praise God, the more we give thanks to him, the more we come into his presence and he will enable us to run the race. And then receive. Be filled with the Spirit. That's, yeah, we all want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the context there in Ephesians is be being filled. We're leaky vessels. We need to draw on the Holy Spirit day after day after day. Final reference to chariots of fire. Harold Abrahams was determined to win that goal, but he knew he couldn't do it on his own. So he hired the best coach available to get him those few extra yards that would get him past Eric Little and the American runners who were his rivals. Someone who would help him get the prize. Our coach is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in in the name of Jesus to teach us all things and remind us of everything Jesus has said. We have a helper, an advocate, a coach in the Holy Spirit. Draw on him day by day.
and you will run to win the prize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a great God, such a generous God, a God who loves to bless his children, a God who loves to bless each and every one of us. Lord, we don't know what heavenly rewards will look like, but we thank you that you've given us these passages to indicate those things that will please you. And we pray that you will give us the day by day the Holy Spirit that we might live in a way that pleases you, to live a life that reflects Jesus. Lord, help us to train our minds to be focused on Jesus and to discipline ourselves to serve you better. Lord, I pray for each of us here today that throughout the coming week we will practice and get better at praying, at reading your word, at praising you and at receiving your spirit. Lord, fill us each one with your spirit that we might run in such a way as to get the prize and give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.